0: So in Ephesians 4 today, we're going to highlight our key in on verse 28 and verse 32 because we looked at the other ones. So Ephesians 4, verse 28 and 32. Righteous use of our hands. We want to talk about that. Laboring with our hands. We want to talk about kindness. We're commanded to be kind. If you didn't know that you are commanded by God. There's an imperative here for you to be kind. It's not optional. It's not optional for the Christian. And then we're also told or given an imperative to forgive. That's not optionals either. As believers, as Christians, we have to forgive. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to key in on verse 28 and 32 but I'm going to read verse 25 and 30 through 32. So let's go to the Word of God, starting in verse 25 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Let's water here. The Word of God reads Therefore, laying aside falsehoods, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry yet, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So, church, we've been looking at verse 25 through 32 over, you know, a couple of times that I've been here speaking. And we see from verse 25 to 32, there's imperatives here. Our commands, where Paul is, he's instructing us in righteousness, or he's showing us the way of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we see here in verse 25 to 32. And so from verse 25 to 32, we have these six, I would say, major commands or imperatives. The first one that we looked at early on was, we should not lie and spread falsehoods but we should speak the truth one to another right that was we looked at that how to use our tongue right the other imperative that we're given here is that we should use our tongue to build people up and speak truth right versus using our tongue to destroy people right that's what we've also looked at in the past we learned or looked at about uh, controlling our emotion the emotion of anger we learned how to use anger what's what's right anger what's wrong anger right we touched on that um we looked at we are commanded to not grieve the Holy Spirit, right? And when we are using our tongue in a nasty way, we're grieving the Holy Spirit, right? When we're spreading falsehoods and lies, that's grieving to the Holy Spirit. And then today, we're going to talk how we ought to use our hands. That's, what, that's the subject, I guess, I would put it under. We're learning that we should not steal, but labor with our hands to meet those who have needs. And then we will learn are given an imperative to be kind and forgive. So today our focus will be on not stealing, but using our hands to work so that we can meet the need of the people who has a need. And then we'll look at we are called to be kind, right? We're called to forgive. So those are the things that we're going to touch on today. So the first one, verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, work, work performing with his hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. That's what we're commanded to do. Now, this text has not come across as very powerful, right? Um, especially the first part of the verse where he says, He who steals must steal no more. This is not, this is not a command Our word where we're just like, Whoa, that is very intellectually deep. That, that, that commandment does not knock our socks off, right? He who steals must not steal anymore. We're not reading this text here and saying, Oh, wow, Paul, that was deep. I never thought about that. He who steals must not steal any more. It sounds very simple. But actually... This verse is very deep. He who steals must steal no more. This verse may seem very unimpressive, but in the truth, guess what? This verse is really a powerful attack on the kingdom of darkness. This verse is really an attack to destroy the works of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. This verse is also... He who steals must steal no longer and rather work with his hands is a verse that invites the believer to walk or follow into the kingdom of God. It is a verse that leads the believer along the paths of righteousness. All of that is in this one verse. He who steals must steal no longer, but he must labor with his hands. So by this verse, God is attacking the kingdom of darkness. By this verse, he's inviting the believer to walk in the commandment of the kingdom of God. And by this one verse here, we are led along the paths of peace, along the paths of peace. Now, the question you may say then is, where's all that at, Brother Jerome, right? Where I just see he who steals must steal no longer. He should work with his hand, perform what is good. Where do you see all of this, of this stuff that you're talking about? Well, think about this. The command to not steal, but to work with our hands. We know that stealing is not of God, right? We know that if, if, you, if you're going to steal, that's, that's not something that comes from God. To steal and take from other people's is, is not something that we know that the Holy Spirit gives us or calls us to do. The same thing as well as seeing somebody who has need... And even though we have the ability to meet that need and turning our back towards him, we know that that is not from God, that those things are the opposite of God. First John 3.17 tells us this, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How does the love of God abide in him? So we know that from God that stealing is wrong. We know that's not from God. And we know that seeing somebody in need and we have the ability to meet it and to turn our back towards them is wrong. So so we know that those commandments, that's not from God to steal. And yes, we have this sinful nature inside of us that only cares about self and is quick to steal and quick to turn our back on those who have something in need. We know that that's part of the reason why we do such things. But do you know the reason why we do those things? Where that action really come, comes from? Well, that is a practice of the devil. That's what First John 3:7 tells us. It tells us that the devil, that the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. You know on the streets we have the term OG, right? OG stands for original gangster. Well, Satan is really the OS. He's the original sinner. And when you keep looking in 1 John uh, 3, That the verse in uh, verse 8 goes on to say that the Son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. So to steal is a work of the devil. To steal is part of Satan's kingdom. To, To steal and to turn your back on those who have need is a work of the kingdom of darkness. That is part of Satan's laws. That is part of Satan's imperatives. That is part of Satan's decrees. See, in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, we are told this. We are told that we were dead in what? Trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to what? The course of this world. And who's controlling the course of this world? According to the prince of the power of the air, which is a reference to what? Who? to Satan. So as we were living in this world, doing our own things, we were actually following the course that Satan laid out for us. A course that says, I only care about myself. A course that says, I'm only going to do what's beneficial to me. A course that says, I'll use my tongues to destroy and to to build down. A course that says, I'm going to spit evil and hate. A course that says, I'm going to allow my anger to throw me into fits of rage. See, these are characteristics of this present evil age. These are characteristics of the kingdom of this world. These are characteristics of the kingdom of darkness. But I have euangelion for you. I have good news for you. The euangelion is this. Galatians 1.4 tells us this about Jesus, that he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present, right now, evil age. See, oftentimes when we think of the gospel, we think about something future, that we're saved from the wrath of God, which is true, that there's this judgment coming that we're now saved from in Jesus. And yes, that is euangelion. That is the good news, what is going to happen in the future. But euangelion also happens right now. This verse says that Christ gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, meaning that his euangelion is actually working right now. Because of what he has done, we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into God's son's kingdom. See, through faith in Jesus, we have been removed from Satan's evil course. Through faith in Jesus, we are no longer walking according to the course of this world. We are now walking along the paths of shalom. See, the gospel actually is working in you now. It's not just a future thing, Christ is actually his power that has come when he died on the cross. He he broke the power of the enemy where you are now no longer in bondage or enslaved to Satan and sin. See, the euangelium, the gospel is actually working right now in you. The reason you're not enslaved is because the power of God has come through and broken Satan's chain and his hold on you. So that is euangelium. Through Jesus death, we are now walking along the paths of Shalom. So as the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, tells us to steal no more and to use our hands to build up, and as he tells us to use our tongues to, to build up, guess what? That's really in a direct attack on the kingdom of darkness and its present age. Just by this one statement here, by him saying you should not steal anymore, that you should use your hand to build up, it's in a direct attack on Satan and his kingdom. He's going at Satan's throat here. He's saying that that is not the way that my people, we're not going to walk according to the course of this world. So just by this one word, he's attacking Satan. Just by this one verse, he's showing you the power of the kingdom of darkness and the power of God to overcome that darkness by giving these new commandments that brings us on the paths of Shalom. So if you are out there stealing, taken from others and trying to get over it. My brothers and sisters understand you are not walking according to the paths of Shalom. You are following actually the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this present evil. And guess what? You will never find peace if you are stealing and taken from others. You'll never find peace if you're trying to get over on people. That's not how you find peace. You find peace by walking according to God. Walking along the paths of Shalom, not walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, what I love about this verse here in 28 is that it not only shows how the kingdom of God goes at the throat of the kingdom of darkness, but it also shows us the Christian's posture, the Christian's posture towards those in need. And this verse also gives us a motivation for working. It gives us a motivation for running a business. So think about this. The one who has... Alright, let me, let, me, let me say it in this phrase. How can I say it? Let me say it like this. So the one who steals, now that he has entered the kingdom of God, and has submitted himself to Christ as king and Lord, he should no longer steal. That's what Paul is telling us here in verse 28. But now that he has entered the kingdom of God and submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, he should no longer steal. But Paul says in verse 28 that he should be performing with his hands what is good. And for what purpose does he say here? So that he will have something to share with the one in need. So the reason now that he should be working, is it so that he can get rich? No, that's not what the text says here. Is it so that he can go and play on the weekend? No, that's, that's not what the text here says. Is it so that he can be suited and booted in the flyest clothes and the latest hairstyles? No, that's not what the text says here. Is it so that he can or she can take trips here and there? N- no, it's not what the text says. Now, please understand this, brothers and sisters. There is a place for all of that. There is a place for taking trips. Like, I like nice clothing. I, I like nice shoes. I like taking trips with my family. I like doing all of those things. But that cannot be my sole motivation for why I work, at least not if I am in the kingdom of God. And if you are in the kingdom of Satan in this world, yes, that is what you work for. You work for clothing. You, you work so that you can buy more. You, you work so you can take trips and just spend all day doing leisure. You, you work so you can get more clothes. If you are walking according to the course of this world, that is why many people work. But if you are in the kingdom of God, if you have submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, if you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God, the Bible says, we have a different motivation for working our motivation for why we work is that I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus because I want to meet those who have a need that's the motivation we are given here in verse 28 he is performing with his hands what is good so that in order to he can help the person who has need you see how this verse is giving you a motivation for why you work it's not just for you And guess what? Some of those people that have need will be your own biological family. You'll be helping them. Some of those people who have need will be your brother and sister in Christ. And some of these people who have need, well, guess what? Will be people in the world. So brothers and sisters, this should give you a motivation when that alarm clock goes off in the morning and you're like trying to get the sleep out of your eyes and you want to just sleep an extra five minutes. This should give you a motivation when you're driving in traffic and just like, I'm so tired of this. This should give you a motivation when you're dealing with that coworker or that manager or that boss that just rubs you the wrong way that the reason that I'm here is yes, I want to provide for my family, but also because I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and when somebody has a need, I want to be able to meet that need. That is part of why we work, brothers and sisters, not just for us. And guess what? If you are a spouse who's staying at home, you play a role in this as well because you allow that other spouse who's out in the work field to, to go and do that work and not have to worry about the responsibilities at home. So we're, we're all in this together. We work with our hands why? Because we want to be in a position to help the person who has need. So go ahead, my brothers and sisters, get creative and start that business. Work. Go ahead, my brothers and sisters, use your gifts and talents for the glory of God, but always keep at the of your mind that the reason that I'm doing this yes I want to take care of my family that is good but also I want to be in position to meet needs I want to be like Jesus I want to help people I want to do things for the glory of God if I see somebody in need I want to be in that position to meet that need that's the beautiful thing that is why we work We work because we want to meet needs and here's something else about this verse that that that's really important, and that is, if God blesses you with blesses you financially, God allows you to come into money or whatever it is He blesses you financially. Do not be surprised if He constantly sends people your way who have need. You can't be surprised because we understand that's that's how God's economy works. So we looked at Leviticus, he uses, he blesses other people to bless other people. That's how God's economy works. So don't be surprised when you find yourself maybe getting more money, but yet now more people are coming around that have need. That's kind of why God blesses you in the first place. Yes, we want to use some discernment here and not just give it all away in, in a sense, but yes, you must be aware that that's why God is blessing you. So understand that that raise that you got, guess what? It was not just for you that bonus that you get guess what it is not just for you yes your business had a good month guess what that business that that profit it was not just for you god has positioned you in a way so that you can help those who may have need that's that's why god blesses that's what he that's what he does he help he he uses his people he blesses them so that they can be a blessing to others you so tell the person who's stealing, "You need to stop the stealing. Go work with your hands so that you can be in a position to give and not take." So please understand this. Like I said just said, if God blesses you financially, or this tax returns, whether stimulus checks, um, uh, bonuses, raises. Please don't just think about self. Please understand that He's 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 blessing you, but you also have these other responsibilities. You're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You're called to help meet those who have needs. Consider, for example, Titus 3.14. In Titus 3.14, the Word of God says this. Paul says to Titus, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds or good occupations to meet pressing needs. That's what he tells us in Titus 3.14. We ought to learn to work good occupations, good works, so that we can meet what? Pressing needs when needs should arise. That's why we labor. That's why we work. Um, Another verse in Romans chapter 15 verse uh, 25. Paul tells the Romans. In Romans chapter 15. That he is on his way to Jerusalem. To make a contribution. To the poor saints in Jerusalem. Why? Because the Macedonians and the church in Achaia. They have worked with their hands and they are now giving contribution to the saints that are at Jerusalem. They want to help their poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So we have a pattern here. We have a history here of Christians working with their hands so that they can help their brother or sister who are in need. That is why we labor. Believers, that's part of the reason why we Labor so that we can help our brothers and sisters who are in need and not only just our brothers and sisters of the faith, but it may be family or it may be people that we come in contact with. We are called to meet those needs. What I love about this teaching though here in, that Paul has given us is I love how in verse 28 it, it really shows us the continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament with regards to our treatment of the poor. So, for example, we looked at today in our opening scripture was what? It was Leviticus 19, right? And we looked at how God had blessed the harvester, but the harvester had to keep the edges of his harvest untouched so that the poor could get what they needed or if they remember they were gleaning if they dropped fruit or if they dropped wheat they had to leave it there why so that the poor can have their needs met so we we we're seeing this continuity from the old testament in god's heart towards the poor and how god uses people to meet the needs of the poor and we're also seeing now the same the same principle or the same teaching here in the new testament how we work and labor with our hands to meet those needs of others who are in the situation where they have need Another place where we can see a similar thing is in Matthew 25, in Jesus' description of the sheep and the goats, where he talks about at his coming, how he's going to shepherd the sheep and the goats. And In Matthew 25, Jesus describes those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, I told you I'm going to say that a lot. Those who inherit the kingdom of God are those who feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked. Those are the people that Jesus says will enter into the kingdom of God, who have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Those are the people who he says will have eternal life. So there's continuity from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament on our responsibilities to labor and work with our hands so that we can be in a position to help those who have need. That's Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, am I giving you all these scriptures so that you can go out and start charities to feed the poor? No, but it's, it's not a bad idea. But no, that's not the reason why I'm giving you these verses. But I'm, I'm highlighting these verses. I'm showing you the continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament so that you can see the posture of a disciple or so that you can see the posture of a Christian or so that you can see the posture of a citizen of God when it comes to the poor. And that posture is that we meet needs. That's the posture of a Christian, that we meet needs, that we care for people who are hurting, that we use our tongue to build up the person who is lowly, that we work with our hands to meet those who have needs. That is our posture. Church, that is our posture as believers. It is not the Democrats and liberals who care more about the immigrant and the poor. No, it is the church of Jesus Christ. It is not the Republican Party that cares more for the life of the unborn. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is not demonic organizations like Black Lives Matter that care more for black lives than the church of Jesus Christ. That is our posture. We care for the needy. We care for those who are being mistreated. That is us. That's our posture. You see the posture here from how we work. You see the posture from how we lift up people with our tongue. That is our posture. We are those people. That is who we are as the kingdom of God. We tell the truth. We do not spread falsehoods. We control our anger. We don't destroy people's property and, 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 and rotting, uh, rioting and looting. We, we use our hands to meet needs. We use our tongues to edify, to build up. These are the imperatives that we find in verse 25 through 32. That is who you are, Christian. That is who you are as a child of the kingdom of God. That is who you are, my dear sister. That's who we are. And not only are we the ones who meet needs, not only are we the ones who not speak falsehoods, not only are we the ones who use our tongue to build people up, but guess what? We are also the kind ones. So verse 32 tells us, remember we're looking at 28 and 32, we are also the kind ones, we are also the tender hearted ones, we are also the ones who know how to forgive, and verse 32, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you, guess what, that is not optional, that is an imperative, meaning that is a command of the Holy Spirit, you are called to be kind. That's, that's in your DNA now as a follower of Christ. The seed of God is in you. That is part of who you are now. You are called to be kind. So in verse 32, we are instructed, we are commanded, again, to be kind to one another. Now when you compare verse 32 to verse 31 here in the text, you really see the clear contrast of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Right? The course of this present evil world is characterized in verse 31 as being bitter, Wrath, full of wrath and anger, clamor, slander, um, with all malice. But the the child of God, in verse 32, is characterized by being kind. The child of God is characterized by being tender-hearted. The child of God is characterized by forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us. Now, here's the thing about this word here, kind. This word kind here that you see in verse 32 in the Greek, it has the meaning of being useful, being serviceable. So, for example, if I see a person walking towards the door and their hands are full, and I run and I open the door for them so I can get you know, let them in. What do most people turn around and say? They look at you, and say, oh, that was kind. What you doing? It was kind because you were being serviceable to them. You're being useful. You've seen that their hands were full. So you open the door and you allow them to walk in. You were being serviceable. You were using your hands and you're being kind. That's what this word here in the, in the Greek, Christos, means. Christos. It's, it's being kind. And the kindness here is action. It's not just, just saying something, oh, a nice word. But the kindness here in the Greek, the word means an action. So as opposed to me, verse 31, slandering you and being bitter and, and causing malice or thinking malice to do something wrong to you. I, as a child of the kingdom of God, am called to be kind to you. I'm called to, give, to do a, a kind service to you, to do a good action towards you. And not just an empty action, not that I'm simply doing something good towards you out of command. But guess what? I have to do something and really mean it from my heart. See, the next word in verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another and tender-hearted. This word tender-hearted, literally in the Greek, it means good intestines. That's what the word means, tender-hearted, in your Bible. The word means good intestines or good bowels, right? That's, That's the Greek word that's being used here. Paul is saying have good intestines, have good bowels. Now, obviously, this is an idiom, right? It doesn't literally mean to have good intestines. But what he's trying to say is, from the deepest parts of you, see, the ancient folks, like, we're very ethereal. We think in our mind, like, oh, I love you a lot. The ancients is not going to say a lot. They're going to say, I love you to the core of my intestines, my bowels. So they're trying to say the, the, the deepest part of me. So that's why they use words like this. and it, That's an idiom. So when Paul says, have a good bowels or good intestines, he's using an idiom of have a have a deepness in you. It's kind of like when we say, I'm so hungry I can eat a bear, right? We're not literally saying I want bear for dinner, right? What we're saying, it's a cultural expression to say that I'm really hungry. And so that's the same thing that the apostle is doing when he says to be tenderhearted. He's saying have good um, good intentions. He's talking about in the deepest part of you, you you have to really mean what you're doing. So when you combine these two words to be kind, mean good action, be serviceable to somebody. And also I need to have good bowels, meaning I need to do good actions and I actually have to mean it. My heart has to be in it. My, my emotions have to be a part of it. My feelings have to be part of it. I'm not just doing an empty kindness act towards you, but in the deepest part of me, I actually mean this. I really care for you. See, that's compassion. When, when I see somebody in need and, and my heart now connects with them and it's causing me to do an act of kindness, see, it's coming from the deepest part of me. So so to be street, Paul is saying, don't give that fake kindness, but give real kindness that is true, that is to the gut, to the core of you, that is coming from the middle of you, the, the heart of you, like you really mean this kind of act. So that's what he's saying when he says to be kind to one another, tender hearted to the deepest part of you. Which makes me think of the degree of difficulty And following Jesus' commandment to love your enemies. See, when Jesus said to love your enemies in Matthew 5, Jesus was serious. He wasn't joking. He meant you must really love them from the deepest inner part of you. He's not talking about fake love. He meant like truly in your core, your intestines, you have to really love your enemies. Jesus was not joking. He was not just giving words and saying, Oh, love your... No, he meant that you must really love your enemies. He meant it. He said, this is the righteousness of the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is the true righteousness. So when we are called to be kind... We have to actually mean it. It's not just lip service. It's not me just doing these little acts and I just don't even care about you. No, I actually gotta care in my heart. That's been, I have to be tender hearted in my kindness. I have to be tender hearted in my niceness to you. I gotta really mean it. It's not just something I just do so that's what Paul is showing us here, he's calling Christians, he said this is our walk. We are the kind ones, we are the tender hearted ones, we are the ones that do good truly out of our heart. It's coming from the deepest part of us. That's who we are called to be. That's what Paul says. We are the kind ones, we are the tender hearted ones. Now the next word here that we're going to touch on our last word is forgiveness. Remember, we are the kind ones, verse 32, we are the tender-hearted ones, and we are the ones who forgive, Paul says. He says, forgiven each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, right? Do you realize that the large part, for, or do you realize for the most part, the bitterness of verse 31, the wrath of verse 31, the anger of verse 31, the clamor? The slander with all malice. Do you realize that most of that, and even in our own lives, is due to unforgiveness? That's where a lot of our bitterness comes from. Where somebody may have wronged you. Someone may have slandered your name, and you are bitter. And you say, yes, I have forgiven them, but the bitterness is still there, which really means you have not forgiven them. That's where a lot of, this, that's where a lot of the, the slander comes from. That's where the, the anger and the wrath come from. Somebody has done something to, to you. And you have not forgiven them. And so now you're in this state. Um, honest confession with me, I, I, you know, I always try to share it. just I want to be open door. But I still find myself arguing with people over stuff that happened 10 years ago in my head. Uh-huh. Not in, not in room, but like I go back. something that happened 10 years ago and i'm like man i should have argued i should have said this i should have said i'm arguing with a person in my head over something happened 10 years ago i'm acting like it's just happened today which tells me i was driving in my car a couple days ago and i'm like this is still on me i'm bitter from this i can say i've forgiven this i had a situation where the brother in christ did something that just really hurt me and I'm still playing back that situation in my head, which tells me that the bitterness is there. Even though I tell myself, oh, I have forgiven them. That is not true. I've not forgiven them. I'm, that's why I'm bitter. That's why I'm still arguing with this person in my head, even though the thing happened like over 10 years, almost 10 years ago. That's just me being honest. I'm sitting there, there's some work I need to do there in my own life because I still see the bitterness. Now, my issue was something minor you know, the offense that I had received. But I know that some of you have probably dealt with something even greater. Some of you, others have offended you through molestation. Some others may have been potentially raped. There are other believers who's lost loved ones due to murder, people have murdered their families. Um, All I can say is I hate that you had to endure that. I hate that you had to go through that. Paul helps us to deal with this unforgiveness here, though. He gives us some type of solution, I would say. The answer or solution that Paul gives us is Jesus. He gives us Jesus here. Because he says, forgiven each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So he, he reminds us, as God has forgiven us our trespasses, he's saying, you ought to give others who trespass against you. This is the Lord's Prayer, right? This is the model prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. Forgive us our debts, right? As we forgive who? Our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses, right? That's, that's in one version of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who do what? trespass against us. So we are telling God in that prayer, when you pray that prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive uh. uh our debtors and lord forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us you are telling god in the same way that i am forgiven others god forgive me that's what you're saying when you pray that prayer see that's forgiveness that is what we do we forgive see in our unfor- unforgiveness we have to consider our trespasses against god remember we sinned against a holy and perfect god People sin against us, but we're not holy and perfect. God is holy and perfect. And if a holy and perfect God forgives, who are we not to forgive? See, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way of a disciple of Jesus Christ. We forgive. We are the ones who forgive. See, to live in unforgiveness is to live as if I'm still under the rule and reign of Satan and his kingdom. But church, you are not. You have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. You have been brought into the kingdom of God's Son. You are now in the kingdom of light. You have been set free by Jesus' death and blood. You have been set free from the bondage of Satan and sin. That is not you anymore. You are in the kingdom of God. You are a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You are different. Verse 31, that is the people of the world. We're different now. We, We are the ones who forgive. We are the kind ones. We are the tender hearted ones. We are the ones that do kindness with a true heart. We are the ones that use our tongue to truly build and mean it from our heart. We are the ones that speak life with our tongue. That's who we are. We are not the ones who stay in unforgiveness. We don't live there at all. And you know how you know when you have got to the other side of that, that unforgiveness, church? You know you're on the other side of that unforgiveness when you can truly Be kind to the person who offended you with a tender heart. Well, you can be kind, as Paul says... You can be kind to them from the depths of your bowels or your intestine. That's how you know you've overcome that. When you, you know when you overcome that forgiveness, when you can speak to that person and speak life to them from your tongue, and guess what, and really mean it and speak it from the, the depths of your bowels. That's how you know you've overcome it when you can do those things, when you can speak life, when you can give. You, you know that when that you've overcome it when you see this person who offended you in need and you can go and use your funds to help them. So you know you overcame it then when you do it truly out of the depths of your bowels. that's how we know we're over it. We can do it truly out of the depths of who we are. These are the words that Paul has given us as the church. These are the words that the Holy Spirit, I should better say, that he's given us the church. These are the ways of the kingdom of God. This is how people who are citizens of the kingdom to come, of the age to come. These are people who have submitted their life to Jesus. This is how we're called to live. In verse 28 we are called not to steal but we are called to work with our hands to meet them who have need and in verse 32 we are called to be kind tender-hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you That's our duty that's our imperative here that Paul gives us by the Holy Spirit Let us pray Heavenly Father you are so good God thank you For freeing us from the trap that we were in, the power that we were under, Lord. You set us free. By your grace, we are free now, Lord, to walk in righteousness, to follow you, Lord. To use our hands for purposes that bring you pleasure and glory, God. Oh, God, help us to use our mouth, our hands, our feet, our legs, everything for your name's sake, for your glory's sake, God. Let the words that come out of our mouth, Lord, minister grace to the hearers, Lord God. May we continue to speak truth, Lord, because you are the truth, God. Help us to model kingdom living, Lord, to this dark world, Lord. May you get glory from it. We praise your name on today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.